All right. Well, let's just do a quick recap from last week. Then we're going to jump in to some good stuff today. Um, so last week, I had shared about the difference between true freedom and lawlessness. Um, I talked about how sometimes churches like ours um, who love freedom that in, our, in churches like ours, they can, there can be some people who are these self-appointed religious spirit p- police. And we can kind of identify them because they call anything and everything that has a limitation or a boundary or a rule, they call it legalistic or religious. And I shared that an immature expression of freedom believes that we have no boundaries. There's no limits. And I talked about how real freedom is defined by boundaries. America is the freest nation on the planet because we have laws that guarantee those freedoms. And we have people who enforce those laws. Laws are boundaries. The absence of laws, the absence of boundaries, the absence of limitation is not freedom. It's something else. It's called anarchy. And I talked about how rebellion and lawlessness will get in the way of us even being able to hear the message of living holy. If we have lawlessness in our hearts, then we will rebel against the call of God to live set apart for his glory and for his purposes. And I also shared that a great test to find out how much rebellion might be in us, you know, how much lawlessness is touching us is to, is to observe how we relate to authority. Especially imperfect or bad authority so I know I stepped on some toes and I actually had a few people thank me for it they're like wow I really I really like that correction it was good I needed to hear it so thank you for loving discipline but we have two feet so today I need you to get your other foot ready I know, I'm sorry, but not really. Because I need to talk some more about immaturity and freedom, okay? So when we think about the word freedom, a lot of things come to mind. You know, I think about things like spiritual freedom. I think about emotional freedom, relational freedom, uh, physical freedom. I think about passages like Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Amen. I think about John uh, 8, verse 36. You know, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I think about Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Can someone say amen? amen. These, these are the things that I think about 
When, and, and I'm sure these are the things that you think about when we think about freedom. And usually in our life, when we start going after freedom, it, it usually starts when we are spiritually immature. And that's okay. It's all right, because we all start as spiritual babies. We all do. Even if we come to Christ at age 55, our spiritual age does not reflect our natural age at all. But it's, it's at that point, wherever that happens in our life, that we get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Whatever that is, whether you were 13 and you had a revelation and you were 35 or 95, you get, you finally, we, after we've exhausted all other options usually, then we finally go, all right, let's try the Jesus thing. And then once we find out how good Jesus really is, we decide we want more. Oh my goodness, taste and see, this is the best meal I've ever had. And so we start to go after freedom. And we have been a church again who does a good job of helping people get free from life controlling issues. Seriously, we have. But here's where I'm going to step on our toes. We have not been good at helping people understand what their freedom is for. We spend hours, we've spent weeks, months, and years helping people get free from pain and bondage. And yet we've spent very little time telling them what their freedom means. And when we don't tell people what they are free for, the freedom that they live becomes very selfish. It becomes very selfish serving and I feel like there's the Lord is showing me how we kind of got here let's look at Psalm 23 Psalm 23 a psalm of David the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now when I think about, when I think about passages in the Bible that truly describe or truly reveal, give us a revelation of who Jesus is, this is one of them. And another one was back in Isaiah 61 that we just read. You know, when I read Isaiah 61, it feels to me like that is Jesus' evangelistic mission statement. 
Jesus the evangelist. As a matter of fact, when I was a, a young Christian functioning as an evangelist, the Lord spoke Isaiah 61 to me. And he said, this is you. And I used Isaiah 61 as fuel for, for me going out to evangelize and seek and save the lost. And the Lord honored it. I was able to lead hundreds of people to the Lord, young people. And when I read Psalm 23, I see the revelation of Jesus as shepherd, as pastor. A five-fold revelation of Jesus the pastor. And it really, it doesn't take any divine revelation since the first line is, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> you don't have to like be super spiritual. You just read it. The Lord is my shepherd. But when I think about the five-fold revelation of Jesus as pastor and shepherd, this is it. This is what I think about. So, when this, this revelation of Jesus begins to influence a culture and a community of people, there are some really powerful benefits. One benefit is that people feel loved. If there's one thing that every new person practically says when they walk through these doors, I felt loved. So many people shook my hand. So many people asked to get my name. It was almost overwhelming. You got to go through the gauntlet of love to get into the sanctuary. You know? <laughs> Hi, how are you? Can I hug you? Can I kiss you? Wait, no. <laughs> I'll do a leg wrap even, you know. Let's, let's, let's love on you. <laughs> But people feel loved in, 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 a, in a culture, in a community where Jesus the shepherd is being manifest. You know, when the pastor's the revelation of Jesus, the shepherd revelation of Jesus is lived out, the church, we become a family. And in that, family values like, like care, nurturing, being known, having value, having significance, having personal freedom from pain and suffering, those are very high values in a family-driven culture. And they are amazing fruits of Jesus, our shepherd. However, when a church overemphasizes a particular revelation of Jesus. Say the shepherd. At the neglect of apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist. Then things get wacky. When the gift of shepherd, pastor is, is the mostly or only gift that gets celebrated, appreciated, or demonstrated, we stay immature. I mean, that what Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4 says, Ephesians chapter 4? Jesus gave us apostles and prophets and pa uh, teachers, pastors, evangelists to mature the church so that we would grow up into the fullness, not being tossed back and forth. 
So it takes all of them, all five. We need all of the revelations of Jesus to mature. So when freedom is, is under, understood only through the lens of the shepherd, of the pastor anointing, then our freedom starts to become very immature and selfish. And here's what I mean. We just read Psalm 23. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to notice who the focus of Psalm 23 is. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who's the focus? Me. Now, there's a beautiful revelation of the, of the function of Jesus throughout this, but the object, the center, the, the, where the love's coming, it's coming from the Lord to this man, this woman. Under this pastor and shepherd revelation, I become the focus. I become the center of his attention. My needs, my wants, my freedom are what's most important. And I believe that we have gotten off track a bit in our understanding of the purpose of freedom. What we've done is we've made freedom very selfish. We have mistaken the attention and the care of Jesus as pastor, as shepherd, we've mistaken it to mean that the point of my life is to eat large banquets while lounging in a meadow by a lake. I know. That's why we celebrate it all the time. Because we're so needy. I need a big table. I need a, I need a vacation in a meadow down by the lake. That's what he does. Right? We've taken the comfort and the goodness and the mercy that he offers, and we've interpreted it to mean that as long as something makes me happy and comfortable, it must be freedom. It must be his will because freedom is for me and it's about me. We also think no one else can question my freedoms or else I'm going to call them legalistic and religious. Because I'm not under law, I'm under grace. You know, we love to 
cherry pick verses that support how we like to live. You know, what's unfortunate is that sometimes, we, 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 most of the time when we do that, we, we, ne- we neglect to read the context. Like the verse before, maybe the very next verse after it. You know, for instance, I, one of our, I think I've heard a lot sometimes is 1 Corinthians 6.21. All things are lawful for me. Stop. We love to stop right there. Because that part gives us permission to do whatever we want. But we have to keep reading. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Or how about the verse I just quoted in Romans 16 or 6 verse 14. For sin shall have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now many times we just quote the second half of that verse, don't we? Forgetting the first part is the outcome of the second part. Sin will not dominate us. But when our freedom becomes very selfish and self-serving, then we push the boundaries of freedom... No matter whom it affects. And the reality is that we are actually, we are actually under several laws. And I'm not just talking about American laws. Did you know that the New Testament, depending on what version of the Bible you, you use, mentions, mentions 16 different laws? I'll list them. I'll prove it. I won't give you the address, but I'll, I'm gonna, I'll lay them out there. So these are all mentioned in the New Testament. There's the law of Moses, which is also known as the law of our fathers, and these are all different. The law of our fathers, the law of God, the law of our ancestors, or the law of the Jews. Those all talk about the same thing, the Mosaic law, but they're all mentioned differently. Then there's the law of works. There's the law of faith. There's the law of marriage. There's the law of my mind. The law of sin. The law of the spirit of life. The law of sin and death. The law of Christ. The law of commandments. And the law of liberty. Those are all mentioned in the Bible. And what about the greatest law that Jesus named? What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment or law that ever was? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor like you love yourself. So guess what? You are not actually free from the law. We are not free from the laws of the New Testament. You know, even if we picked the fun laws, you know, <laughs> the law of faith or the law of liberty, you know, we are still under several laws. So what was Paul saying here in Romans 6.14? What law is he talking about? Well, Paul's talking about the law of Moses. 
And specifically, he is referring, he's talking about being free from the rules and regulations that make us right with God. In the Old Testament, with the law of Moses, we had to follow all these rules, all these regulations for us to be right with God. That's what Paul's talking about. We're free from having to perform for God's love any longer. But Paul is not saying we are completely free from the laws. Because that would make us lawless. For instance, do not murder is in the Ten Commandments, which is a part of the law of Moses. Are we free from that one? No. How about do not steal? That's in the law of Moses. Are we free to steal? Uh-uh. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. They're in there. Are we free? I mean, I know we do them, but it's legal. I mean, it's literally illegal to commit adultery. At least it used to be. Are we free from those laws? No. No, what we're free from is having to perform the law to perfection so that we can be right with God. That's what we're free from. And I'm not going to take time, because, man, we could go through Romans and really just bang that thing out, but I'm not going to. But what I am trying to say is that we are not free from laws just because of grace. We do not suddenly become a lawless people because grace is upon our lives. If we live like that, then we are grace abusers. How we treat grace directly affects how we express freedom, which directly affects how we view and pursue the holiness of God. This problem of selfish freedom, Paul addresses it. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Everybody says, Yes. yes. Right? Say it. Yes. You were called to freedom. Yes. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through what? Love, Love serve. One another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The ultimate test of whether you live in true freedom or selfish freedom is this. Does your freedom put loving others above your own desires? The test to know whether you're in real freedom or selfish freedom is this. Do you put your freedom above loving others? Or do you love others at the expense of your own desires? Mature freedom will love others in such a way that I will not do anything that hurts or offends you. You're going to have to get the podcast. 
Mature freedom will love others in such a way that I will not do anything that hurts or offends you. Even if it means putting my freedom on the shelf. You see, immature freedom, it puts my personal expression of freedom above my relationship and my influence with other people. Remember that scripture that we took out of context, you know, about all things are lawful? Stop. Well, Paul says, he talks about that again down a few chapters in in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Starting in verse 23. He says it again. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And, I'm, and, and Paul's making this because it was a big deal to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Forbidden. An abomination. But if someone, verse 28, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of con- conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be, to be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, what, of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try, and read this, just as I try to please everyone in everything. I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. So what Paul's saying in this passage, he's saying, listen, you need to look out for the conscience of other people. Now, he also says, you know, don't allow others to make you feel guilty for your liberty. You don't have to adopt everyone's conviction to love them. You just have to love them enough to put your freedom on the shelf when necessary. In fact, Paul says that everything that we do must be done for the glory of God. And then he says, give no offense, and he includes everyone. He says, don't offend the Jews with your freedom. The Jews represent religious people who really have a religious spirit, who are legalistic. He says, don't offend them. Those are the religious people in your life. He says, don't offend the Greeks with your freedom. 
Those are the unsaved unbelievers in your life. And finally, he says, don't offend the church of God. Those are us, your brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't leave anyone out. He says, don't offend anyone. Now, if we back up to chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians, we would read about this issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul, he's, he makes this beautiful case. He says, idols are nothing. They mean nothing. They're worthless. They have nothing. There's nothing to them. And therefore, we are free to eat meat that has been in a heathen temple because they're nothing. But then Paul makes a statement about not everyone has that knowledge. And he goes on to say that we can have this freedom, we can have this right, we can have this discretion to eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, but then he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died, by the way, is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. And this is heavy duty love in action. This church is the picture of mature freedom that leads to holiness. Are we going to call Paul religious? Are we going to call him legalistic for not eating meat on account of his brother in Christ? Anybody want to do that? I don't. No. No, we call Paul a very mature follower. Christ and we call him mature because he puts love above his own wants and desires in this world you know we have a scripture that we love to quote again knowledge puffs up but love you know builds up and Paul said it he says it here in Corinthians he says that knowledge puffs up and love builds up but here's what he's not saying and here's how we love to use it what Paul's not saying is that we should, you know, avoiding have too much Bible of the or knowledge of the Bible. You know, we love to quote it. Well, I don't know the scripture, but you know, knowledge puffs up. No, you're just ignorant. Well, I don't want too much knowledge because I'll get puffed up. Mm, no, no, you're broken in a whole new way. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. That's not what Paul's saying. Okay, I'm going to explain what this means. He's not saying that we should avoid having too much knowledge of the Bible because it interferes with love somehow. He's not saying that. He's saying that the knowledge of right and wrong 
has a way of putting pride in my heart that gets in the way of me loving others well. I know what's right. I know what I'm doing is okay. Can't tell me what to do. I'm free. I'm not letting a religious spirit control me. I know what's right and wrong. I, I know what God said. And it's that knowledge that opens the door to pride. And it just pushed us away from the greatest commandment in the Bible. We just broke the law of love. Now I want to share one last point about how we can authentically live the law of love and, and live in true freedom that leads to holiness. I believe that it's safe to say that most of us in this room, when it comes to the issue of abortion, would classify ourselves as pro-life. We believe that life begins at conception and that life, that life has every right to live. And I want to go on record for saying that I am pro-life and that abortion is murder. It is murder of an unborn child. And I pray and I vote for the end of abortion in my nation. And I know most of us identify as pro-life. But as I was studying for this message, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart. I felt like he said, I felt like he said that when it comes to the precious life of an unborn baby in the womb of its mother, many Christians are pro-life. But when it comes to the life of God that lives inside every believer, that many times we as Christians, we live pro-choice. Every single one of us who have made Jesus Lord and Savior has the very precious life of God living inside of us. There is a precious seed of God that lives in our spirit. And it was so important that Tim, Paul even told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So here's what I feel he's, the Holy Spirit's asking us. It's asking me. Tom, does your decisions, is it protecting your spirit? Do, do, do your decisions protect the life of God that lives inside of you? Or are your liberties dulling and weakening and even grieving the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you? Are we protecting this precious life that lives within us or are we practicing spiritual abortion? You know, and, and I realize, I realize that for salvation and love to be authentic and meaningful, we have to have a choice. I get it. 
If we have no choice, if there are no other options, then love is meaningless. But the Bible clearly declares that there is only one good choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. As a matter of fact, Paul even puts a condition under being, not being under the law. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here's the word. But if, if, everybody say if, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Are we pro-life or are we pro-choice? When it comes to forgiving others, are you pro-life or pro-choice? When it comes to bitterness in your heart, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? The words that come out of your mouth, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Your recreational habits. Pro-life. Pro-choice. Your use or abuse of alcohol. Pro-life or pro-choice. Drugs. Legal and illegal. Are you pro-life? Pro-choice. How about how physical you get with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you pro-life or pro-choice? How you treat your spouse. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? How we parent. Are we pro-life or pro-choice? You know, the list could go on and on. Are we protecting the life of God? protecting our own soul or spirit are we protecting our relationships are we choosing life and the law of love or are we indulging in every liberty abusing grace damaging our soul harming the conscience of others by your choices Violating the law of love. Well, this week I want you to 
take a freedom, the freedom test. If you would put that slide up for me, please. To find out if you're walking in authentic freedom that leads to holiness, I want you to ask yourself these questions this week. How do I respond to authority in my life? Is my freedom selfish? Does my freedom abuse grace? Does my freedom put loving others first? And I, and I want you to, uh, again, observe your day-to-day life. I want you to ask yourself, am I living pro-life right now or pro-choice? If you discover some answers you don't like, repent. Press into the true grace of God that gives you power to conquer sin. Let's pray. Father, there's so much hope in the grace you've given us. There's so much power in the grace you've given us, God. There's so much freedom in the love that you've given us. And Lord, if we have a heavy heart, let it only be because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray for for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. God, speak to us on how our liberties, we've, we've abused love. We've bruised the conscience of those who we do life with, God, because of our personal choices, and we've said, don't, be, don't make it legalistic for me. You're not gonna make me religious. God, I pray that we would have a true understanding of the law of love and that it is supreme to our own personal liberties. And Lord, you know we renounce the legalistic spirit. We renounce spirits of religion, God. We want nothing to do with performance-based love. But we do want to love well, God. And it does affect how we live. So I pray today, God, that you would convict our hearts. That we would move into mature freedom that leads us to holiness. That leads us to being set apart. I pray for that revelation to be in my life, God. That I would not be pro-choice. That I would not be compromised. That I would not sow to my flesh, but that I would sow to the Spirit. I would be pro-life, protecting what you've given me, God. Protecting what you have put inside of me, God. With my, my decisions, the, the things and how I live my life. So help me, God. Help us. Forgive us, God. We ask for your love and mercy to wash us clean today. Wash us as we repent, God, for our selfish freedom 
Wash us, Father.